Thank you, Anderson. I'm Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Do you care about student loan reform, immigration reform? Well, neither will probably happen. And it doesn't matter what the Democrats say. Why? Pay attention to what's happening in the Retrumplican Party, specifically with Liz Cheney. Now, don't get this skewed. I know the media and some on the left are starting to talk about Representative Liz Cheney like she's some martyr. She isn't. Cheney is not a cause. She is just proof of Trump's effect on the perversion of her party. She is apparently out on her way as the number three. No more. She's on the way out. Why would the number three leader be out as soon as next week? That's the key. Why? Because unlike the QAnon kook, she won't say that January 6th was a hoax pulled off by some lefty group to cover up that Trump really won. And here is the man who is making that happen. Kevin McCarthy. He used to say he's about, you know, big tent. This is about the conference losing faith, not him. He wants everybody here. No, he's not about the big tent. He's about the circus, a freak show of fealty to one man. Prove it, you say. I'll let him prove it here. She's got real problems. I've had it with her. I've lost confidence. Well, someone just has to bring emotion. That's him on a hot mic. You see, he doesn't say that on TV, but he was dumb enough to say it when he was still mic'd. He wants her gone. It's not about the conference. It's not about him capitulating to the masses. And it's because she will not do what he did which is lie about the tower terror of January 6th, a day he started by telling people around him he cursed at Trump, call off your dogs. But he ended soon after like this, paying fealty, homage. Why? Why now say that Trump called you and then sent people to stop the insurrection, which really wasn't an insurrection because there weren't enough guns and not really to be considered terror because the BLM protests the summer before weren't. Cheney at least sees the reality that her fellow Republicans are desperately trying to pervert. Quote, this is about whether the Republican Party is going to perpetuate lies about the 2020 election and attempt to whitewash what happened on January 6th. Liz will not do that. That is the issue. That is true. And the answer is that you will only have people in leadership like McCarthy and like this one, Representative Elise Stefanik, who may replace Cheney because, you know, as long as it's a woman, it's an even swap, right? No, there is more than gender. It is inherently skewed to make Trump happy like he was with Stefanik for defending him during his impeachment. Listen to him. Most incredible what's going on with you, Elise. But did I not realize when she opens that mouth, you were killing them, Elise. You were killing them. She pleases the president. She says, no, no, no. The election was a big lie and he likes it. Listen to her. Tens of millions of Americans are rightly concerned that the 2020 election featured unprecedented voting irregularities, unconstitutional overreach by unelected state officials and judges ignoring state election laws, and a fundamental lack of ballot integrity and ballot security. 
Now she knows that that is all poppycock. They were only worried because people like her were feeding her false notions of perfidy. But when the states that were largely run by Republicans went through their own numbers, and why would they lie? They wanted Trump to win. It came not to be. But this is what passes for a Republican now. So what does that mean for any chance of progress on anything that all of you say you want worked on? Let's take it to the better minds. David Gregory and Charlie Dent. Charlie, good to have you back. First, do you disagree with any of the premise? Am I wrong about what's happening in your party? Uh, no, I think you're, you're correct, Chris, that uh, Liz Cheney is in, in real trouble hanging on by a thread. Leadership wants her out, and they're trying to push her out. My, my heart says she can hang in there, but my brain says that she's in, in real trouble. And it's all because of the fact that she won't yield, that she's strong-willed, and that she, will, she wants to state the truth. And, and too many of the members find it easier to, condemn, easier to, you know, to criticize and, and throw out the woman telling the truth rather than condemn the man who's been you know, spreading this big lie and, and these false narratives. You know, David, the last time, there was a huge difference between the people who publicly said that she had to go and the people who said, the 140 who said January 6th was a fraud and those who voted in private. It's only like 60, 70 something uh, that went against her in private. That's why she survived. Do you think that's still the play, the state of play in that party? Or do you think now you must be loud and proud? Yeah, that's what worries me is that you do have to be loud and proud. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, um, who came up in a different Republican party and is now completely laying himself at the altar of Donald Trump is the only way to hold the party together, the only way to unify the party, which in his mind is how do I win the House and become Speaker. Uh, all of that is by getting Trump's blessing. I mean, let's think about Liz Cheney, what she represents and, and where the Republicans are uniting. It's not around conservative principles, which you could do in taking on the progressive Biden agenda. It's not even around uh, what you might think if you're a conservative or an otherwise a critic of the excesses of the left on culture wars, on uh, cancel culture and the like. That could unify people. That's not what we're talking about. It's unity simply around the lie that the election was stolen, mm -hmm. which conservatives on the Supreme Court and elsewhere and judges on, on other levels all said there was no basis for that. So, so think of how narrow the, the unity point is. So, look, we have the facts that support the move, Charlie. We have put up the numbers. 23% of Republicans admit Biden won. Okay, Not that they like that he won, that he did win. 28% of Republicans say Trump had something to do with the Capitol riot. So this is the underpinning of the big lie. The lie itself is not the concern for me because it's demonstrably false. It's the implication. If that many people in your party believe those things, then doesn't that mandate that those in power, those in the rank and file within Congress do not work with Democrats? Because if they do work on anything, they are therefore going against the big lie by showing that they believe that Biden is president. So don't they have to not cooperate? Well, I think it's very hard for them to cooperate. For many of these, these members, their political safety is tacking hard to the base. It's that simple. They, they feel that that's their, their political reward will be. Uh, not 
seeking consensus or compromise. That's the bad news. The good news is there are enough members who represent more moderate or centrist districts where actually they, they do need to compromise in order to survive. You know, you, you talk to those members of the House Problem Solvers Caucus in the House and the Senate. They're classic examples of why. But, Chris, this problem has been around for a long time. I remember going to a White House Super Bowl party right after Barack Obama was elected, being criticized by people in my district uh, my Republican friends for telling me that I was somehow a traitor for watching the Super Bowl with the president of the United States when the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing, for Pete's sake. I mean, that's how crazy politics is these days. David, what's that your take? Online. Well, and I, I don't think you, the but question... David, what's your take? I don't think the... the well, the, the, I think this question of cooperation is not about this new version of the Republican base, which is just the Trump base. Uh, I think a lot of conservatives have decided to stop cooperating with Biden. You know, they gave him... Uh, the, you know, he, he was able to, to get through uh, the second COVID relief bill. I have real questions about infrastructure and some of the other progressive policies that the president is going to pursue. And I think Republicans made a decision early on in, in Biden's term, as they did with Obama, which is we, we have to oppose almost from the start to keep people together. But I do think that's a separate question from what you're talking about, which is how big does this Trump base get? He already demonstrated he can't get reelected based on that, but it's still a big enough number. Mm. But Charlie, here's the thing. You say these moderates in these, some of these positions, they have to. I don't see it. First of all, we haven't seen it. Um, but also, going forward, they will be savaged by their own. This is a party that will hang with Matt Gates, and I'm all for due process. But, you know, he'd be a dead man on the left because it's all about optics. But here... They stick with him, they stick with the QAnon kook, and they kill Liz Cheney. So if you're a moderate, if you put your toe in the pool, Charlie, aren't you DMW, dead man walking? Well, look, uh, let me just push back for a second here. I do think that a lot of these members, a lot of these members, uh, for example, on infrastructure, I think these uh, people in the Problem Solvers Caucus are going to put forward a real proposal, just like they did on COVID at the end of last year that became the basis of an agreement. I think they're going to try to do the same thing on infrastructure, and that could force the leadership, that could force their hand uh, to deal with a, a real compromise. Look, I realize it's a, it's, it's a stretch, but it is a possibility. And I completely agree with you about what you said about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. The fact that somehow Marjorie Taylor Greene wasn't dealt with forcefully I mean, they threw Steve King out of off committees, as they should have, for his, you know, incendiary Eventually. comments. Eventually. I mean, Eventually. What's happening is they're, they're mar- plenty of stuff. Yeah, but they're they marginalizing. But they're marginalizing. What's, what's scary to me is that they're marginalizing rational, thoughtful members like Liz Cheney. Uh, and instead of marginalizing, you know, the whack jobs. That's the problem. You know, when Boehner was speaker right. and Ryan, they were pretty good about pushing out the, uh, uh, the kooks and, and, and empowering the, the mainstream. You know, David, in a weird I way. I just don't see. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I, I want to build on that, which is how do you build a, a governing party where you marginalize, as Charlie is saying, actual conservative Republicans like Liz Cheney, who, are, who is not going to support a lot of what Biden is proposing. You know here. how? I know how. Uh, I have the answer. Yeah. I got the answer for you. You want to know? <laughs> you will be yeah. bound together by your collective victimization. And here's how it happens this is now in the Democrats' lap, right? And what are their people pushing for on the left flank, especially? Blow up the filibuster, muscle it through. These people won't work with you. You know, we're yeah. making the case right now, they won't work with you. You have to do this. But the moment that they do, 
I think Joe Manchin is right. And I don't think there's just one Joe Manchin in that party either. They're just letting him do the talking for him in the Senate. They will revisit upon you this blown up filibuster in a way the Democrats can never get together and marshal power. McConnell will make you pay. This kind of Republican Party will make you pay. And that is going to scare the Democrats. And if they do get past it and force Manchin somehow find a way to blow up the filibuster, you will victimize the Republicans. And they will be able to go into the midterms saying, we're the victims. We're the victims. It's not that we're crazy. Forget about the QAnon kook lady. They victimized us. So the Democrats have to play this right as obvious, ugly, and egregious as the Trumplican state of play. Your take, David. I agree with that. And I think that the victimization is already happening, right? The argument that you're hearing from the Trump base. Mm -hmm. And by the way, a lot of Republicans would rather not have Trump, but they want his supporters. And that's why all this feeds into it. Mm -hmm. They want people to believe, look, you you know, this is not on the level and that the election was somehow rigged and Democrats are messing with our voting systems. And that means that there's going to be more people of color who are voting and probably illegally, I think this is their argument, the victimization Mm -hmm. argument, and that you're going to be marginalized and you're going to lose elections. And in the same time, you're going to be marginalized in society. So it becomes very social, very existential. So I think all of that is already happening. And yeah, you want to layer on the idea that then they've stacked the deck by using the levers of power like the filibuster. Yeah, then they just uh, then they dig in. Happens so fast, you know. Forget about calling Cheney a rhino, literally uh, untrue, given her family lineage. And yet she went from talking about 2024, Charlie, to being out maybe next week. What a fast change in the party. Trump changed it faster out of power than he did in power. David, (laughs) Charlie, thank you both. Appreciate you, especially back-to-back nights, Charlie. Thank you for doing it. Always good to see you, brother. Sure thing. The president just announced his new vaccine goals. But isn't the game over? There's so much hesitancy now that seems to be baked in. Why? The Wizard of Odds says the answer is in the numbers. Next. President Biden says July 4th, that's the big day. We're going to celebrate independence and independence from COVID as well. That's when we reach 70% of U.S. adult population with at least one shot. That's his hope. But where are we? 56% of adults having at least one shot. It's okay. 35 million more people would be needed to want the vaccine to reach the 70% goal. It doesn't sound that much, does it? But it may be unreachable despite the administration shifting strategies. And we'll find out what that means in our next segment with the big COVID guru for the Biden administration. But there is also a steep decline in vaccination rates. Why? Why might it be unreachable? Harry Enton, the wizard of odds, is here. Make the case. Here's, here's the problem. And I think it, you got a really good idea by just looking at the rate in which we are seeing the vaccinations take place, new people getting a first dose, and take a look at the people who want a first dose immediately. And what do we see here? What we see here is pretty clear. That is, the people who have gotten the first dose has been climbing rapidly since early March, 25%, 36%, 47%, 56%. But where are those people coming from? They're coming from the people who wanted the doses as soon as possible. That number has been shrinking from early March, from 30% back then to just now 7%. So basically, we've gotten the low-hanging fruit. The people who wanted that vaccine, who are lining up, who are willing to go at midnight, 
Those people have mostly been baked into the pie. And now the real question is, can we get the people who are perhaps more difficult to get? And more difficult means the vaccine hesitant and vaccine resistance. What are that? What, how do you delineate those? So essentially what we're talking about here, when we say vaccine resistant, we mean the people who say, I'm never going to get that vaccine. I don't care what you do to me. I'm not going to get it. And that number has been fairly stable. Look at this. Back in early January, it was 19, 19, 21. Now it's at 20 percent. That number has not moved. The real people we should be focused on at this point, if we want to get more people vaccinated, is the vaccine hesitant group. That number, in fact, has been shrinking 39 percent, 30 percent, 24 percent, now 17 percent. Now, what that shows me is that if you get the right messaging, you can get these vaccine hesitant folks. That 17 percent of the population is who we should be focusing on. We should not be necessarily focusing on the vaccine resistant group because that group, to me, is just not gettable. All right. So if the resistant group now, the question for me becomes how much of this is politics. So what do you know about the leanings of the hesitant Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of folks out there who are saying that the hesitant group are people who are hardcore Republicans. That's why we need Donald Trump to go out there and give a message. But take a look here, and I'll explain this slide. This is the vaccine hesitant group. That is, that say 17%, 18% of the population who will wait and see whether or not they'll get the vaccine. Look at their political preferences among that particular group. Only 31% of that group actually supported Donald Trump back in 2020. 20% supported Joe Biden. But look at the vast majority, that 48% said they either supported someone else, didn't vote at all, or they didn't have an answer to that question. Mm -hmm. These are people who are separated from the political process. These are not the people that you can reach through normal channels. It's going to take a new, innovative thinking to really get a lot of these vaccine-hesitant people to actually get the vaccine. Now, you and I were talking in the office about, and that means donuts, beer, or bonds, as we see being offered in different places to incentivize. Now, I'm going to have the whole incentive uh, conversation next with Andy Slavitt, who's obviously the, uh, the big shot for the Biden administration. But you said, no, look, there's some other hesitancy factors here to also put in. And let's show that the concerns about COVID-19. Yeah, look, if you were essentially say, okay, among this vaccine hesitant group, why are they saying they don't want to get the vaccine? Look, A lot of it is side effects. They're very worried about the vaccine. 74% said serious side effects. 43% they were afraid that they get a side effect and miss work. Then there's 36% who said that they might get COVID-19 from the vaccine itself, which is not possible, right? And then there's 28% who say they can't get it from a trusted source. But essentially what we're seeing here is it's not necessarily that people can't can't get the vaccine. It's that they don't want to. We have to incentivize them. We have to give them knowledge. We have to basically say, if you get this vaccine, you know, we'll give you a free donut as they do a Krispy Kreme, or maybe you can get some beer and we need to give them the knowledge, let them be able to go into their doctor's office where the doctors can inform them on what the truth is about the COVID-19 vaccine and not some garbage they might read on the internet. Harry, Thank you very much for laying it out what it is and what it is. And the numbers appreciate that for keeping us straight. The Wizard of Odds, everybody. Thank you, sir. All right. So what is this incentive argument? Should there be more perks for the vaccinated? I say yes. Are there? No. We're leaving it to the private sector. Is that okay? So Biden announced some earlier, some new ways to do it. And we have a senior advisor for COVID here to explain what the new ambitions are, how they can get it done, and how he'll deal with what Harry just laid out. Next. Now it's hard, as those of us who couldn't wait to get the vaccine 
start to ebb. Now what? So you see governors offering everything from cash to beer to encourage people to get a shot. The problem is you also have governors outlawing efforts by businesses to incentivize vaccination. Why? This is about politics as well. So Biden took it on today and talked about the new phase of the effort. Listen. In the next two months, our focus is going to be on three groups. Kids between 12 and 15 are awaiting potential FDA authorization to get a shot. Two, adults who have had trouble locating a place to get a shot or who just haven't gotten around to it. And three, those who need more convincing, being convinced of the necessity of getting the vaccine. Andy Slavitt, White House Senior Advisor for COVID Response is with us. Good to see you. Thanks, Chris. Let me get a fact premise out of the way to, to make sure I'm on good footing in the rest of the conversation. How much of the problem remains access in minority and underserved communities? Well, that's some of the problem still, Chris. I think, you know, for people who uh, work and get paid by the hour, who don't necessarily get time off from their boss, uh, who have um, don't have vaccines located in their communities, who don't take walk-in hours, there's still a number of people who it just needs to be easier. So I think when one of the things the president announced today, walk-in hours, what he announced last week, tax credits to give people time off, those things will help. It's not the entirety of the issue, but it certainly is part of the issue. Now, here's why I say that. Because, look, if this is a facet of systemic inequality, then you've got to be very careful in creating preferences. But if people do have access to it, and this is about just making it easier, then I don't understand why the full thrust of the effort isn't if you are vaccinated, you get preferences that others don't. Like even in a list of things, working with private businesses. OK, but how about like TSA lines? You know, if people know if you're vaccinated, you get on one line at the airport. If you're not vaccinated, you're going to have to go in and get tested at the airport. And please come three to five hours before your flight. An incentive like that could make people who are on the fence think, you know what? I know things are opening back up, but I need to get in there and get the vaccine. What do you think of that? I think carrots work. I think sticks are not what's appropriate right now. I think the thing we have to understand, Chris, there's a bunch of us. I think you're on that list. I'm on that list to whom getting a vaccination wasn't a tough decision. It was something we didn't need a lot of data. We didn't need a lot of consideration. We just did it. For people like us, it's sometimes difficult to understand that there are a group of people, and Harry mentioned them in his segment, that actually would just want more information. They just take a little bit longer time making a decision. For them, this is a big decision. They don't necessarily want to feel like they're being manipulated like, a, like marionettes. They're not necessarily, uh, necessarily all pro-government. What they want is they want information and they want simplicity, uh, because for them, it's not as clear and so they need to understand about the 150 million Americans that have been getting the vaccine. They need to understand that it's easier to get the vaccine. And so down the road, I'm sure those things you speak of um, will occur naturally. We're seeing it in universities. We're seeing them in other places saying, really, you need to be vaccinated for all of us to be safe. But right now, we don't think that's the principal motivator. Right. But I'm just saying that it has two outcomes. One is, OK, you don't want to force them. Great. But the people who have gone out and gotten the vaccines are waiting for them. And, you know, you still got to wear a mask inside. You, you know, the, the vaccine still doesn't make sense in terms of we thought this thing was supposed to be the magic. And we're not back to living any way we want. We're not really getting preferences except business by business. So that group is waiting also. And now you've got a new challenge. Kids, 
Pfizer comes out and says 12 to 15, um, they are approved. I have to tell you, even with me and my wife, she's vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. Kind of knocked me sideways, but that's okay. You know, I had COVID. I was expecting it. But with our kids, we're going to be a little bit, hmm, I don't know. You know, the big shot, she's 18. She wants it. Okay. But that's a much bigger challenge. How do you expect to get that done anywhere near in time for school? And what happens if you don't? Can schools require it? Not only do we want to get it done in time for school, we want to get it done in time so kids can really enjoy their summer activities without having to worry, without having to wear masks. Uh, that's really what the goal will be. Now, obviously, we're going to wait for the FDA, and this is that, that comment shouldn't be interpreted as foreshadowing or even uh, leaning on what the FDA should do. They'll make the decision based on the science. But if they do make the decision, p- parents say that one thing matters above all else to them, and I, I don't know if this is true for you and your wife, it's what does their pediatrician say? Yeah, it's all about safety. have been giving vaccines out for years. Yeah, it's right? all about safety. Yep, and 90% of, yep. So I think the pediatricians who are going to actually be giving out the vaccines themselves, um, I've been studying this, we've been talking to them, we've been on phone calls uh, with them in anticipation of this. So we are hopeful that, that this will be something that parents will look at, talk to the But you can't have schools require it this decision. fall, right, Andy? You won't, you won't be ready. Well, I think the 12 to 15-year-olds, uh, with any with any luck, we have a very good shot at being able to vaccinate over the summer. And even younger groups than that, I think things are progressing uh, pretty quickly. So we'll have to see. We'll have to let it play out. But, uh, but I'm optimistic. Is there a chance that schools could require it for certain age groups that have had the opportunity? Well, my understanding is that these are local decisions. I also think we there that it, it. My understanding is that it can't be required until it goes from uh, authorization to approval from the FDA. Now, uh, people may remember that we have an emergency use authorization. And by the way, Chris, not just with kids, but more broadly, um, people expect that once the FDA goes through the final approval process, which is expected this summer, that there will be a pretty significant increase in the number of people to take the vaccines because that's a signal some people are waiting for. Once that's done, then employers and schools and others, in consultation with their lawyers, et cetera, they have more options in terms of requiring the vaccine. Mm. You'll still have a situation where the elementary kids, in all likelihood, aren't vaccinated. Um, so Very true. there won't be any mandate there. But that middle school, high school... Um, there, you, so if the locals decide, hey, we're going to mandate that you are vaccinated, uh, is that something that you would think is a reasonable measure if the access has been there in their communities and catchment areas? Well, I'm not going to make policy on that now because I don't uh, have the authority to make policy on that. Um, but I do think that everybody is going to be in a situation where they just want things to be safe. Um, and I think that the, you know, what, the one thing we know for sure is that the, if you get vaccinated, life is safer for you. There's one thing that everybody who's died of COVID has in common, virtually one, one thing that virtually everybody has in common, and that's that they're not vaccinated. People who are vaccinated, one of the things that they have in common is they're not dying from COVID mm. and they're not spreading COVID. And kids may not be likely to die from COVID, but they are likely to get sick. And they are like some of them get long term ill, as you may know, I think, you know, personally, and then uh, they they can certainly spread it to adults. So we think parents will hopefully see that. Well, Andy, I look forward to seeing how uh, the new set of ambitions, the new set of directives and messaging helps on people that may just be slow to the approach, as you were saying, because that's probably your best chance.
to get the 35 million new ones. Because if this is a red-blue thing for them, then it's not going to happen. And if they're hesitant, that's one thing. If they're resistant, they may be stuck where they are. So I wish you luck for all of us, and I appreciate you being here. Thanks. And I just add, text your zip code to GetVax, G-E-T-V-A-X, or Vacuna in Spanish, and that will tell you where to get your, uh, your vaccine right near you. Say it again. I didn't hear you. Yes. Uh, get, get Vax. Just text your zip code to Get Vax, and you will get an immediate list of three places near you that have a vaccine in stock right now. Couldn't believe you. I can't believe you didn't start with that. Andy Slavitt, thank you very much. Be well. All right. <laughs> thank you. It's right. a, uh, the eve of a big Supreme Court decision, okay? The so-called Supreme Court of Facebook. Will they allow Trump back on the platform after a nearly four-month ban? Who are these people with this power to give Trump a voice again on social media? And... How Trump tried to get ahead of the decision in the most Trumpy way. We have our tech titan next. You think Trump should be allowed back on Facebook? You think it's better for him if he isn't, right? More of that victimization that he loves to feed on the right fringe. The question has sparked a heated debate between those who cry free speech and others concerned about public safety. Remember, Facebook suspended Trump's account after the January 6th Capitol riot, citing the risk of more inciting. Now, a decision is expected to be made tomorrow, but not by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Instead, it is by this independent oversight board, also known as the Supreme Court for Facebook. That's who makes a ruling. Ahead of it, Team Trump announced the launch of what his pals at Hate TV are calling a new communications platform. The fact, it's a blog on his website. So BS aside, what is to come and what will it be based on? CNN's Donny O'Sullivan joins me now. Good to see you. Hey, Chris. Uh, I am right, right? For, for all the hype, it's just a blog on the website, right? Yeah, absolutely right. It's, it's a total distraction. It's a blog. His advisor, Jason Miller, has been boasting, threatening for a while that Trump's going to set up a social media platform. This is not it. The fact that they dropped this the eve of, of this Facebook decision is maybe them trying to show that they can do something. But this is it's a blog. It's a website. It's not a platform. I still think and you and I can bet a pint on it that he doesn't have the wherewithal to capitalize and come up with his own media entity. His play is going to be getting a piece of one of the, the already existing ones on the righty fringe and them getting his face and time there and him getting a big equity stake. But let's deal with the present. These people who are going to decide the Facebook situation, who are they, this 20 group independent panel? They are very esteemed, accomplished public intellectuals. There are human rights lawyers. There's the former editor uh, of The Guardian in London. There's 20 of them in total at the moment. They are basically being described as Facebook Supreme Court. Why did this get set up? Well, because... You know, Facebook got in a lot of trouble the past few years making these decisions, what to do with Trump, what to not do with Trump, whether to take down false information, whether to leave it up. So Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, got tired of making these decisions themselves, said we shouldn't make these decisions. We should not have all this power. And they set up this board, which they claim is independent, uh, whether it is or not. Uh, we will find out, I guess, in, in the coming months uh, ahead. But this, the, what the decision ultimately comes down to is, 
should Trump be allowed back on the platform? And the two sides are, one side is, should the guy, the former president of the United States, who incited an insurrection using this platform, be allowed back on? And what does that message and precedent, does that then set for other world leaders or dictators? If you let the guy back on, are you essentially saying, well... Erdogan or somebody else elsewhere in the world and another world leader, you can incite violence, but you will not be permanently banned from this platform. That's one side of it. The other side of it, and it's a legitimate argument, is to say, should Facebook have this power? Should Facebook, no matter how bad uh, what a world leader is saying, should a private company have the power to shut down as they did at the time, a sitting president of the United well, States. Well, a private company does. But as we know, what we're debating here is these aren't just like any other private company. How many of the 20 have to decide uh, to make it so? So that's a, that's a very good question. There, there has to be a majority. Um, so, uh, but the oversight board is not actually telling us how many of their board members are going to vote on this. We also, mm. unlike the Supreme Court, we're not going to know who voted what way. Um, so there, and we also don't know how much these oversight board members are being paid, uh, which ultimately is being paid by Facebook. The Facebook pays into a trust that they say is independent that funds this board. But so there's a lot of uh, things that is not transparent about this board, which is trying to strive for transparency. While the media is not filled with as, as much obnoxious Trumpism as it used to be, just look at Congress. Uh, for the amount of influence he still wields. This will be interesting. Thank you for helping us understand better and more. Donny O'Sullivan. Thanks, Chris. So now there's a window in to Trump's current influence, even if he's not on social media. Liz Cheney. The grand old party. Can it still be called that? We have a prominent voice who has faced similar heat as Cheney, Cindy McCain, author and, of course, widow of Senator John McCain, the Republican icon, the real Republican Party. What would her husband make of this? What does she? Next. Trump has proven he does not have to be in office to be in control. Just ask Liz Cheney. Her time as number three in the House may be very short. Longtime Trump supporter and House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy is declaring he's had, oh, he's not declaring. We caught him on an open mic. And he said what he hasn't been saying publicly, which is he's had it with Cheney. Why? Her criticism of the former president and refusing to lie about January 6th, which is fundamental to the Trump narrative. He can't have lost. So what does it mean for any non-Trumper in the current GOP? And why even say non-Trumper? What does it mean for anybody who just doesn't want to lie about what was obvious to everybody who was alive on January 6th? So there's another woman who has felt the Republican ire for speaking out against the 45th president, Cindy McCain. You know her, widow of Senator John McCain, an author in her own right, brand new book, Stronger, Courage, Hope and Humor in My Life with John McCain. It is good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I miss the senator ripping me to shreds before every interview I ever did with him. And one of my favorite lines of his was, gee, I wish I was there, or I wish you could just lean a little bit closer so I could get a clean shot at your nose. (laughs) He had humor, but he had principle. And you knew that those were two things that you could count on. Ms. McCain, do you think that 
uh, you know, in your book, you said that you have hope that the party can regenerate itself and swing away from the disgrace it has become. I know you just wrote it, but watching what's happened right now, can you still feel that way? Or do you think at least for now ish, this party is only going in the wrong direction? Well, you know, when John and I first started all of this, uh, the Republican Party was really, truly a, a wonderful place to be. Uh, you know, it was the party of inclusion. It was the party of Abraham Lincoln, all the things that we know about it. And I believe that even at the point that we're at right now, because we only have one way to go and that's up, that the pendulum will swing and we will regain what we have, have been good about for so many years. I just have to believe that. And I believe that Republicans, uh, good, good, moderate Republicans believe that, too. But they're being forced to be quiet because the pendulum hasn't stopped swinging that one way. You make another interesting point in the book about, hey, you need more women in the game. Right. Uh, which makes a lot more sense. But you know what? Gender's not enough because you have Bobert and you have, you know, the QAnon lady. Not all ladies are the same, as it turns out. Um, and you see this Stefanik that's being groomed to take over for Liz Cheney. What does that tell you? Yeah. Well, I think I think our party does have to be careful in making sure that there, we are a party of inclusion. And that's not just women, but it's people of color, uh, our, our gay folks, our our folks, you know, folks of whatever gender they choose to be, all need to be a part and welcomed within our party. But we do need to be careful. We can't. Uh, it, it doesn't serve any good if we just oust someone uh, who's who's really is a good representative of the party. But that's exactly what's happening right now. I mean, in a way, you guys are kind of post identity. You can be whatever identity you want as long as you go with what Trump said, which is that the lie of the election must stand. And it doesn't matter what you are if you don't say that, you're going to be on the way out. In fact, even what you say in the book, what you learned from John and Joe, meaning Biden, the president, of course, who was friends with your uh, husband, good friends, you got trouble on your hands. Cindy McCain, even with the pedigree of your family, and deservedly so, you can't talk about Joe Biden as being a good guy. Well, I watched Joe and John work together across the aisle, and the difference in, in those days were that they did it for the good of the country. Right now, we're seeing a party that is so misguided that they're doing it for themselves, what's good for themselves. Um, it, we have got, I, I, as I said before, I truly believe that the pendulum will swing back. I think we're going we're gonna to hit, hit, some, hit some more bumpy roads, though, along the way. Clearly, mm. Trump's not going to let it go down easy. If the Biden administration offered you a position, would you consider taking it? I would serve in any capacity uh, that if the president would ask me to do so, yes, I would. Okay. You know, part of me, I didn't want to ask this question because I didn't want to make trouble for you. But I think in the interest of what you're talking about, people of good faith uh, who want to do the right thing should not be held in check by any kind of partisan affiliation. So... Um, I, I just wanted you on the record for that. I wish you well going forward and I wish you well with the book. It is called Stronger and it's on sale right Thank now. You. Uh, Cindy McCain, I remember your husband well and I wish your family all Thank blessings. You. Be well. Thank you. We'll be right Bye. back. By the way, I hear what you guys are telling me on social media and directly and on the radio show at SiriusXM, the POTUS channel 124. Uh, 12 to 2 Eastern. 
I get it that you're frustrated that you're vaccinated and you're not able to do more of the things that you think you should be doing. And that now you don't like hearing that you have to wait for other people and you don't want to see their feelings get hurt because they want to go slow. But why should you have to wait? I get it all. But these are hard decisions and Biden will be measured by them. The question is, will people take the vaccine when things are reopening anyway? Let's put that question to the big show and the big star, CNN Tonight with D. Lemon. Things are opening anyway. And a lot of people keep telling me, I don't know about you, but why do I have to risk it with the vaccine? You took it. You know, everybody else is taking it who needs it. I don't need to take it. Because you want to lessen your chances of getting it. Simple answer, right? You also, you don't know who doesn't have it. You don't want to put other people at risk. You also want to set a good example for your fellow countrymen. And if you're a parent, probably a good example for your children as to how to conduct themselves as responsible individuals. I mean, it's quite simple to me. I know, I was speaking with a doctor last night, Chris. I know that what the CDC says about not wearing masks, and I was walking around our town this weekend on the street or going out for a jog, I didn't have the mask on. I had it with me. And then when a group of people walk by or I have to go into a store or get a coffee, I put the mask on. It's no harm, no foul, no skin off my back. But I hope that people would go and get the vaccine because it is so simple. I told you about my experience. It took me all of seven minutes, both times, to get the vaccine. My arm was sore for And you're a big fainter. I know. I, I needed a fainting couch. I had the vapors. (laughs) <laughs> but look, I also get people who are saying to me, wait, I'm vaccinated now. I don't want to wear the mask. I, I look, I get it. And I, get, I hear people who say I'm going to keep wearing the mask anyway because I didn't get sick this year. I didn't get COVID. I didn't oh, get I'm going to do that during flu season. Look, I, am I mean, gonna, I think it's now a, a more acceptable part of our culture. Look, you know, my thing is like you do whatever you want to do as long right. as it doesn't impact me. But I also think that there is a little bit of me that is skeptical, like, hey, you know, you should do this. It'll help you. It'll keep you healthier. You know. Look at us. We're fat. We're lazy. We eat bad things. We drink (laughs) bad things. We don't exercise. I mean, I exercise. You you don't exercise anymore. But I'm saying, look, as a country and look, even let's be honest, you and and I have like three different sets of clothes. We go up and down all year round. This is my medium set. You know, that's who we are. And the idea that people are going to step out and get the vaccine because it's the right thing to do for them and to show their kids. I don't even know that that's what we're about anymore in this country. And I'm not surprised. Look, you and I have been saying this a long time, and it's not because we're cynics. You got it right away. You've been better on the mask with anybody that I know. And you and uh, Tim have treated me like, you know, I had like, you know, I had COVID the whole entire time. Like you wouldn't go anywhere. You wouldn't do anything. Do you remember? I'm like, hey, we're not going to come over. Yeah, you've checked every every box. I mean, even when you hug me, you give me like the. You give me like the hand hug now, like there's a hand here and there's a little pat on the back. I give you the stiff arm. <laughs> and, and I'll take the Heisman. I get it's coming from a good place. But I do think that this 35 million sounds like a small number, but I yeah. don't think we get there. Yeah. And I think that so many people this summer, I think people have had it and they're going to try and take the easiest route. So the trick is, how do you make them realize that doing it is worth it beyond information and personal satisfaction of prophylaxis? Do you pay them? I'm fine with it. I, I'm in fine with incentives. I believe that for grades, by the way. Yeah. I say it to the kids all the time. I wish that would happen to me. I'd have, I'd have a better GPA. Right? What's wrong? I'm not I'd, paying my I'd kids to get grades. I'd have a better job. Hey, I'll pay them because I have to pay when they don't get the grades. I got to pay for the tutors and all the other stuff. Oh, boy. So I'm fine with that. Donuts, beer, businesses. I think you and I, we call for a table. It's going to be mobbed where we live. Wait, we're both vaccinated. I think we should get a preference. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Well, 
I can't listen. There are many things we disagree on. This one we don't disagree. Not who on. should pay when we go out. Oh yeah, well I've I know. never I heard you fight I never, that. I never carry a wallet. Man will fight over anything except a check. Let me no say this about before I have to go, please. Uh, and I, I do have to go. What a classy lady. What Cindy a cl- McCain. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. What a classy, a beautiful woman, classy, and she is what every Republican should want to be, or at least what Republicans used to aspire to be. Man, you need more women, more people like her, uh, especially in the Republican Party. You know who disagrees with you? The new GOPQ. Oh, did you see what she wrote about Joe Biden? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I've lost faith in Liz Cheney. We got to get her out of there. I had to think twice. Me of all people. I had to think twice. Do I want to put Cindy McCain on the spot about whether or not she'd serve in a Biden administration? That's how messed up things are right now that I had to think. Do want to expose uh, the widow of John McCain and not not to just limit that. She can handle it. That that's who she is. But that I have to think about it. Yeah. That's where we are. That's a scary place. Well, I'm going to talk about that right now because everyone, you know what I get people all the time. Oh, Don, why do you guys talk about Trump so much? I'm sick of talking about Trump. Whatever. Because what's happening in the Republican Party, and Trump is a big part of it, affects all of he's us. He's more powerful right now. now. It's like Obi Wan Kenobi. Now, I, I don't know if he's more powerful. On the Bizarro side, they struck him down. Look what he's doing with his party. I think he's more sinister, and I think he's more of. Uh, the Wizard of Oz, but the, it, does he have power as a wiz- Wizard of Oz? We will soon find out. They're cleaning that house, brother. That midterm is coming up. I'll I got listening. Run. I love you, D. Lemon. I love you more, brother. So, quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.